What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Big Ten Takeover Podcast. I am your host, Donovan White. As always, we are presented to you by the Takeover Sports Network. We've got a great episode coming along there. We're kind of following the theme of what we started to do earlier um, in the offseason, what we did last week with Michigan State. Um, we're previewing the Nebraska Cornhuskers, a team that I'm going to talk about a little bit um, going forward. But they are a super interesting team, super interesting team in terms of potential um, going into this year, what they did last year as a team. And just in general, the feelings and, and kind of the buy-in of around Nebraska football, I think it's super interesting. We're going to cover them today, but of course, I always have to mention before we get started, we here at State that the Takeover Sports Network have teamed up with PrizePix, uh, and they have a special offer for any of you out there listening or viewing. New users that deposit and use the promo code TAKEOVER will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Prize picks is the easiest way to play daily fantasy. You can pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times your amount on any entry. It's just you versus projected numbers. Prize picks also allows mixed sports entries. For example, you could take the over on Patrick Mahomes' passing yards come this fall, tagged up with the under on Saquon Barkley's rushing yards. They offer you any sport you can think of, NFL, college football, NBA, MMA, soccer, MLB, anything you think of. PrizePix has an award-winning, easy-to-use mobile app, which you can find both on the App Store and Google Play, and entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. So if you're looking for fun and easy way to play daily fantasy, to make your own picks, whatever it may be, be sure to check out PrizePix, and don't forget to use the promo code TAKEOVER so they know that we sent you. That's PrizePix promo code TAKEOVER. So as I mentioned, right, we're going to talk a lot about Nebraska. Nebraska is a team that was so interesting in 2021. If you just had a blind resume, kind of a blind, say, here's one team, here's another team. And you said, okay, this team finished three and nine overall, and they finished one and eight in their, in their conference in the Big Ten. You would think that either their, co- their head coach had just been fired and they cleaned out staff the whole way, or that their head coach was seriously on the hot seat going this year. Um, that's honestly the complete opposite of Nebraska. Obviously, Scott Frost didn't get fired, but in general, he's not on the hot seat. They kind of cleaned a little bit of the offensive staff out, but he is so solidified, in my opinion, mainly because of the player buy-in. Even with, despite that three and nine and one and eight Big Ten uh, record and and three nine overall record, and so the saying of last year and kind of trickled into this year that Nebraska may have been the most talented or the best three win team in college football history. I think that's true, and I don't think that's insulting um, for Nebraska. I think a lot of Nebraska fans. Uh, and if I'm wrong, Nebraska fans, please let me know in the comments. But I think a lot of Nebraska fans sometimes took that as an insult or even people in the college ball world took that as stop saying that. Like, A, that's an insult. And B, like, why are we promoting a three win team? Well, let me put this in perspective for you. Nebraska outscored their opponents by 63 points on the entire season. Now, sure, a couple of those were because of lopsided victories. Um, they beat Northwestern, I believe it was 56 to 7. So that adds a significant amount of that total. But Either way, they had a point differential of zero in conference play. So what does that mean? Despite going one and eight in the conference, they had a zero point difference in the teams that they lost or beat. There was a zero point differential. That means that they were so close to flipping their record around from three and nine and nine and three. It was it was I mean, it was it was so close that they were going from a below average bad team at just on paper value three and nine to a bowl, you know, bowl eligible. Um, you know, respectable eight, nine, one program. They were that close. If we go through some of these games, they lost to Illinois 30 to 23. I'm not going to give them any props for that because if you're, if you are that talented of a team, 
Um, it took him a little while, but you still losing to Illinois doesn't, no matter how close, doesn't give you any props for that. They lost to Oklahoma 23 to 16, right? So this is a top 10 at the time, Oklahoma, um, an Oklahoma team that was certainly very good, um, lost them by a touchdown, lost to Michigan State, who we covered last week. Um, obviously, the finished top 10 um, was ranked in the top three for a while in the college ball playoff rankings. Um, they lost them 23 to 20. So they lost by three points to them. They lost to Michigan, the winners of the Big Ten Conference and playoff contender and playoff uh, participant. Even again, even though Michigan got blasted by Georgia, I get it. They're still the crown winner of the of the conference. They're the best team in the conference, and they were a playoff. They were a, a playoff participant. They lost them 32-29. They lost to Minnesota 30-23, to which, again, I'm not going to give them too much credit for only losing to Minnesota by a touchdown because um, I don't think Minnesota is that good. Um, but still, Minnesota is not bottom barrel of Big Ten. Then they lose to Purdue by five points, 28-23. We all know how Purdue turned out. Again, some of that momentum cooled down off Purdue. But, again, they, they still had a great season, and, and Nebraska only lost by five points. They lost to Ohio State by more than one score is 26-17. But Buckeye fans or Nebraska fans, if you watch that game, listen, as a Buckeye fan, I was sitting there sweating. There was a time in that game where Ohio State was up still, I think. And I am I just kind of bargained with myself. I said, okay, Ohio State's going to lose this game. Nebraska's going to beat us. It was that close of a game. Maybe it was a shell shock from the Oregon game, whatever it may be. But it was that close of a game where you're sitting there going, what is going on with Nebraska? They kept track with Oklahoma. They kept track with Purdue, with Michigan State, with Michigan. They're doing with Ohio State. They probably should have won that game. I mean, all honesty, they played better than Ohio State until the last five, six minutes. Then they played Wisconsin. They lost by a touchdown, 35-28 to Wisconsin. Then they lost to Iowa, 28-21, uh, right? And this was the last game of the season. So they were sitting there at 3-8, and eight, last game of the season, um, going uh, playing home against Iowa. Uh, nothing to play for other than senior day. And they – they could have easily gotten blown out by an Iowa team that, again, not going to beat you in a track track race or anything like that, but still an Iowa team that was pretty damn good, and they lost by a touchdown. The constant theme of this, of all their games last year and just their whole season in general, was not being able to finish out those one-score games or those close games. Um, when I was a sophomore, junior at Miami, I played offensive line, for those of you who don't know, um, at, at Miami University in the MAC Conference. My sophomore and junior year, my second and third year in 2017-2018, my freshman year, we came off going to a bowl game. We started off 0-6. We went to 6-6 six and six after six straight wins, went to a bowl game, um, lost to Mississippi State by one point on a blocked field goal, which I'll never get over. Uh, but came off that momentum of the season thinking, okay, 2017 is going to be a stellar year. 2018 is going to be a stellar year. I'm not saying Nebraska had that. But those two years, we couldn't figure out how to win those close games. When it got close, whether we were up or we were down in the fourth quarter, we couldn't figure out how to close games. 2019, we did figure it out. And once we did, we won a conference championship. We went to a bowl game. We, we played the last bowl game before the national championship in 2020. We had the most wins of any of any Miami team in almost a decade, if, if not more than a decade. So the, my point in this is that I, I've been in that scenario before um, for a year or two with, with a team before. And the constant theme of teams like that, because it's not that rare out there, the constant theme with that is that it's not a lack of talent. It's not a lack of buying to the culture. It's not a lack of discipline. And it's not a lack of just loving the game of football. It's typically something where it just needs to have a small mental shift, whether it's guys that they're, they're finally growing into their roles, whether it's you're kind of getting out some of those, you know, previous era players that, you know, are, are great guys and were good players and worked hard, but just didn't fit exactly what was going to be needed. Again, 
fit the culture, but just weren't ready to take that next leap, right? Even if they were better players at some point than other people, they just weren't ready mentally. They weren't better mentally than some of the other players back there. So it's never, in my experience and in a lot, looking at a lot of teams with this in Nebraska, especially, it's not typically a lack of talent or lack of buying or bad coaching. It's just something needs to be developed a little more with players. And that's what I think was missing for Nebraska going forward. I think that's what it was. I think that's what's going to happen in 2022. And honestly, in my opinion, and a, a really good thing, well, two really good things for, for the program is one, uh, it shows uh, to my other point before when, when teams like that have those issues, it's not a buy-in problem. And I think you saw that with how hard they played for Scott Frost um, and the, the trust that the athletic department has in him. Um, and then the second, the, the second is just, they already have that coach coming back. So they have two good things for it. They have buy-in into the coach, in my opinion, and they have the coach coming back, right? Even if you bought into the culture and the athletic department's like, yeah, it's time to move on. They have both the buy-in and him coming back. They, uh, they added two years to his contract, Scott Frost contract. They restructured a little bit, which yes, on its face, looks like a contract extension. So it's good um, for him. It's good for image. Um, the athletic part, the athletic director, said that both parties had skin in the game um, that he said that usually when you see a good business deal, it's, only, it's pretty lopsided. It's one-sided. Um, in this case, uh, there's incentives for um, if Nebraska um, wants to fire Scott Frost, they basically have to pay him the same amount of money. If Frost would, um, would, would tell Nebraska he wanted to leave um, or if he wanted to return, excuse me. Um, so there's incentives for both of them. So it incentivized both of them to do well because it would um, hurt and kind of, it just give an easier out if, if he was to leave in one way or another. So it is a contract extension, but um, kind of the nitty gritty of it is just easier ways for him to get out or get paid or Nebraska to get out or to not pay him as much. So it benefits both parties, but that's what the team has going for them. That Scott Frost is back and that the athletic director has publicly stated that he is, as his role is not to tell him what to do, but he understood that there would need to be some changes. So they, they fired a few offensive um, assistant coaches. They, you know, they got in some transfers, right? They had a few different things going on, but they have the buy-in going forward. So 2021 for them was a season full of what if, in my opinion. It was what if they would have just scored one more point? What if they would have had 20 more yards on this play? What if they wouldn't have fumbled on this play, right? It was such small things where they were never getting blown out. They were never getting waxed by some of these top teams. If they were getting blown out by these bad teams, the Illinois and, you know, the Illinois and the, um, and then Minnesota is not a bad team, but the non upper echelon teams, they're getting blown up by them and then keeping the other games close. I'd say it's more of a kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of a, um, just it's a coincidence, but the fact that they were keeping it close with everybody just showed it was something mentally that needed to flip. So going into 2022 for them, um, some of their big departures, um, Adrian Martinez, a long time Nebraska quarterback felt like he'd been there for a decade is out. Um, they bring in the new quarterback, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, Cam Jurgens, their center kind of interior offensive lineman, was a stud lineman and for a team that um, thrived their rushing game on Adrian Martinez's ability to run. Um, they're going to need some someone, some uh, kind of a, the whole unit to step up in terms of offensive line play, especially for their new incoming quarterback. Cam Taylor Britt, corner, um, just got drafted. I thought he was a fantastic corner for them. Um, I'm going to butcher his name a little bit, but wide receiver, um, Samori Torre. Torre, apologize if I butchered your name, my man. Uh, but he and tight end Austin Allen were basically the most of the receiving yards um, and, and the passing game attack um, for Adrian Martinez. So they're both out. But some of their key returners, Caleb Tanner, um, he's a transfer from Texas Tech. At the JUCO level, he, I think it was he had 15 sacks in two years at JUCO, maybe a year and a half. Um, so he's got the potential coming in. The coach who said he's had great spring. 
um, uh, offensive lineman Turner Corcoran. Um, again, butcher name, my man, my apologies, but um, he's he's a guy that's played um, tackle mainly and that has had um, some ups and downs. He just hasn't fully lived up to his potential yet. He's a four-star ranking, uh, four-star recruit coming out, uh, rather. So he's got some potential coming in. And then two wide receivers that I'm actually keeping my eyes on, uh, Xavier Betts, 6'2", 200 pounds, only had about 300 yards receiving last year, but in an offense that lost your two best um, receiving attacks and receiving threats, he's going to need to step up. Another receiver, Omar Manning, 6'4", 225, so he's a physical specimen. Had about 400 yards receiving two touchdowns last year, so he's kind of that big target um, that could be good for jump balls, be good for back of the end zone. But, again, he had some of the production. I think this is kind of his year where he, year where he might step up a little bit. Running back, Ramir Johnson. Um, last year, again, only with 500 yards rushing and four touchdowns, you wouldn't expect him to be kind of a key returner. But in my opinion for an offense – um, that needs to kind of step it up a little more. I think Nebraska's always had a solid defense, but for an offense, it needs to be a little more dynamic for their um, their team to close out some of those games, um, especially late in the fourth quarter. You can't always run quarterback runs. You can't always run quarterback draws and and, and play action fakes all the time. You need some downfield passing attack. You need some balance in the rushing game um, from your running backs. I think Ramir Johnson could step up big time, depending on how well the offensive line plays for him. Um, but the big new addition, well, I'll give you one new addition first. Devin Drew, another D lineman, um, excuse me, Devin Drew, the D lineman from Texas Tech. So he's coming in from Texas Tech. Uh, Caleb Tanner, the other defensive end, was a key returner coming back. Um, Devin Drew was the one that had almost 15 sacks as a Juco player, went to Texas Tech. Um, didn't pop in stats, but again, like I mentioned, coaches are also saying that he uh, is having a good spring. But the big addition is the quarterback, Casey Thompson. Casey Thompson, I think, is a guy that can elevate this Nebraska program. I think he's a guy that when you look at what he did in terms of rushing the ball, but also having the ability to make plays with his arm um, when he was at Texas, I think he was a guy that's a little underrated. I'm not saying he was some Heisman you know, candidate. I'm not saying he's going to be some Heisman candidate. But I think he's a little more refined than Adrian Martinez was. And I had a lot of respect for Adrian Martinez, uh, mainly because of the scares that he gave Ohio State sometimes and the rest of the Big Ten um, when they played, especially last season. I think Casey Thompson is a guy that can elevate, help elevate this team to another to another level. When I say another level, I mean another level from 3-9 overall. I'm not, not saying college ball playoff for Nebraska folks. But him – paired with Omar Manning, Xavier Betts, Ramir Johnson. I think if those three step up, and I'm not asking them to be first team all Big Ten, none of them, but I'm saying if Omar Manning can go be that that uh, that end zone threat, the red zone threat, and have six, 700 yards receiving and call it six touchdowns, and if Xavier Betts can be kind of that middle of the field guy and have, you know, seven, 800 yards receiving and, you know, five, six touchdowns, and you get Ramir Johnson going, he's got seven, 800 yards rushing. And then Casey Thompson, you added in his legs. I think all that considered, you don't need necessarily need to have, um, you know, quarterback go off at Nebraska for 4,000 yards passing, 65% completion rate, you know, uh, 30 touchdowns, five picks, and then 1,000 yards rushing. No, no, no. I think it can be – he can have a similar output to what Adrian Martinez had last year, but just in a more refined way. He's a more – I think he's a more accurate passer. I think he's got more potential. I think Casey Thompson is the biggest difference in this for Nebraska, genuinely speaking. And so when you look toward their schedule, I think I'm going to have some bold predictions here, but I think Casey Thompson is going to be a big piece of this. And quite honestly, folks, there's not a whole lot of, I mean, we went through it. There's not a whole lot of, you know, marquee names in Nebraska in terms of, of 
playmaking wide receivers, running backs. But I think part of that is um, a little bit not by intentional design of recruiting and just who's there. Um, I just think that they don't necessarily need to have a star receiver. They didn't certainly enjoy it, but for Nebraska, I don't think they need it to succeed. I think their system, I think their buy-in is good enough where they will succeed without having some superstar monster receiver, superstar monster running back. What they do need is step up from the offensive line. So if Casey, if, if the offensive line does step up in terms of pass protection and rushing attack, I think that partnered with Casey Thompson's newfound ability in this program with some talented players and Omar Manning, Ramir Johnson, and Xavier Betts can help them get this schedule um, that I'm predicting that they're this, this season I'm predicting they're going to have. So they open up the season with Northwestern in Dublin, Ireland. Yes, that was not a uh, misstatement. They play Northwestern week one in Dublin, Ireland on August 27th. Um, not sure how that partnering came across, but you know, more power to both of them. I think they'll win that game. Um, they blew out, they blew out Northwestern last season. Like I mentioned, 56 to seven, maybe Northwestern kind of takes that personally, but I don't think so. I think Nebraska wins that game. They play North Dakota. I think that's a win. They play Georgia Southern. I also think that's a win. So, Right away, before I even get to the, the bombshell week four that I'm going to drop, they open up the season 3-0. People are already starting to talk about them, saying, okay, Nebraska's pumping along a little bit. They, again, they beat North Dakota and Georgia Southern in this future scenario, um, and they beat Northwestern, so no one too crazy, um, too crazy good. Uh, but the thing going from them is they open up their season with five straight home games. Excuse me, five neutral or home games. A Dublin Ireland game is an away game for both them, but there's no fan advantage. So after that game, they have four straight home games of North Dakota, Georgia Southern. And then week four, they play Oklahoma. And I am calling it right now that Nebraska is going to beat Oklahoma. They will beat Oklahoma and do so not in a convincing way of beat, you know, blow them out 35 to three, but I think it will be a 31 to 23 kind of game for Nebraska beating. So convincing enough where early on you saw it was going to be Nebraska. And at the end they closed out and they finished it. I think they beat Oklahoma and that sets the stage for them to have a lot of hype and a lot of momentum going into that kind of range of when the college ball playoff rankings come out. Now, again, like I said before, I am not predicting Nebraska to make the college ball playoff. I am not predicting them to win the Big Ten or get to the Big Ten championship. But what I am predicting is that that home stretch, that home game stretch, then beating Oklahoma, then beating Indiana the next week at home again, then beating Rutgers at Rutgers for week six, going into week six, six and oh, I think is going to generate a lot of hype going into the middle point of the college season, college ball season, going into the playoff rankings when that kind of goes down the road. Um, I do. So I, I'm saying six and oh after at Rutgers, after Rutgers, they play at Purdue. I think it's where they slip up a little bit. Uh, Purdue is not a bad team. They're a talented team. They lost a lot of playmakers, but uh, e even though they lost Purdue last year, I think Purdue still gets the win at Purdue. It's not going to be easy. Um, so I think they slip up there to kind of get the, the momentum and the hype is in their heads a little bit. So six and one. And they come right back and they beat Illinois. So they're seven and one. So after week eight, they are sitting there at seven and one saying, okay, look at us now. And in all honesty, it's not unreasonable for them to go seven and one. No one on that list outside of Oklahoma um, and Purdue you know, really should be beating um, Nebraska. Um, Oklahoma has more talent right now than Nebraska does. I think Nebraska's. Um, kind of finding their stride. And again, it's a weird thing to say for three and nine, one and 18, but I think they are, when I, not a sleeping giant, I 
again in terms of a college ball playoff contender, but a sleeping giant in terms of going from such a bad year record-wise to a bowl-eligible year. So they're sitting there 7-1 after a win to Illinois, and the last four games of the season is where I think they come back to earth a little bit. I think they lose to Minnesota at home. Um, again, I don't think Minnesota's going to be anything all special, but I think Tanner Morgan, the quarterback from Minnesota, has a big year to prove um, coming in, coming in, especially for his draft stock. Um, so I think they lose that game. I think P.J. Fleck has got to get his team a little elevated, so I think this is one of the ways that they're going to do it, um, even though it's home for Nebraska. I think they lose at Michigan. Um, I think they lose home against Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin will just be um, too too talented, will be too experienced um, and too ready even for a Nebraska environment like that. Because even if they do lose to Minnesota and Michigan and Purdue, it's still a home game, senior night, senior day against Wisconsin sitting there at seven and three um, or at seven and three is still a great environment. They still have a lot to play for, but I think Wisconsin gets the W. And then they play at Iowa. I do think they'll lose um, to Iowa. I think. Iowa at that point might have a little more to play for. Um, and I think this, that game against Iowa could determine um, not for Nebraska necessarily, if, if this, if this record holds true, but for Iowa more specifically, depending on their, how their season goes, could have more implications for who goes to the big 10 championship, maybe them or Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, even there, or maybe even Nebraska, depending on what it is. But I think at that point, in the year, Nebraska is going to be bowl eligible. They're not going to have a big 10 championship berth to play for. I think Iowa will um, and at Iowa for their senior night, um, hopefully it's a night game because if you've ever been to an Iowa game, um, a night Iowa game is one of the most electrifying places to be in um, and to play. And I played in Iowa's season opener in 2019, and it was electric. It was a blackout. Um, so it was one of the craziest experiences ever. And so for college ball sake, I hope that's that. I hope it's a night game. Um, even if it's not, it's still going to be a crazy environment, and it's going to be tough for Nebraska to go over. So overall, I'm saying Nebraska is going to finish out this season at seven, five, seven and five. And I think as a massive signal to college football, Nebraska is one of those teams that they had such a powerhouse football program. It's such a dynasty uh, for, for years back in the, in the nineties and, and you know, a few decades ago when Nebraska, when Nebraska is a good football team, college football and the college football world is better off. It's like when Florida state is good, the college football world is better off. When Michigan is good, as much as I hate to admit that, when Michigan is good, the college football world is better. When Notre Dame is good, the college football world is better. When USC and Texas and so on and so forth. So when you have teams like Nebraska that are historically good program, that is a historically good program, and they have been down for so long, and now you come off, you say, okay, you showed us a little bit of what might happen last year, right? And even again, weird to say with a three and nine overall record on paper and a one and eight record in the conference, but the numbers behind it show that Nebraska is waiting to elevate. They are waiting to get back to a bowl game. They're waiting to fulfill Scott Frost's vision and waiting to take the next step after that. So I think next season, generally with new quarterback Casey Thompson at the helm, with Omar Manning, with Xavier Betts come, coming back, um, again, not major contributors, but I think guys that have a lot of talent, Ramir Johnson, I think – those guys, if they can take a step forward and their offensive line is going to need to take a massive step forward um, and just kind of be more competent. They don't need to be superstar. None of these guys need to be superstar players. They just need to be more competent. If that can happen, and I don't think it's a lot of ifs, right? It, typically, it's a lot of ifs to say if this receiver plays well, if this new quarterback plays well, if this offensive lineman steps up, if this O-line steps up. Usually that's a lot of ifs, um, but for a Nebraska team that had so many ifs last season, it's so much what if, I don't think this is much for them, and I think they know that. I think they know how close they are. And so for me, I'm saying 7-5 and five overall for Nebraska. You're going to look back and say, okay, Nebraska was, you know, 
a couple of games. They they elevated, they doubled their win record, more than doubled their win record. They got to a bowl game. They'll go play an SEC or an ACC or Big 12 team and hopefully do well against them. But you're going to look and say Nebraska stepped it up. They showed us that they did take the next step. And maybe even it's a scenario where they lose close to Minnesota if this, if this scenario happens. They lose close to Minnesota or they lose close to Purdue or Wisconsin or Michigan or, Wisconsin, or you know, or Iowa, whoever it may be. And you look back and say, okay, Nebraska was 7-5 and five overall and, you know, they had a winning record in their conference. So they stepped it up from that point of view. But from the same light as 2021, they were this close. They were this point differential away from being 10-2 and two or 11-1 or 9-3, or and three, whatever it may be, to really being a, you know, kind of in the group with Penn State, what they're usually in, with what Michigan State was last year, with what Wisconsin usually is, what with Iowa um, typically is. One step away. And so going to that, I think that buy-in, that potential – and that, in what in my opinion is going to happen, that those results for 2022 will be kind of Nebraska's kicking the door back open and saying, we're back, um, not Texas, we're back, but we're back, we're competent, we're respectful, we are going to bowl games now, we are competing in the Big Ten, we are beating teams in the Big Ten and in the college ball world who no one predicted us to beat, who no one is saying, you know, oh yeah, Nebraska will definitely beat Oklahoma, or Nebraska should be the favorite against Oklahoma. I think the line opened up and it was small. I think it was within four and a half or five. Um, people are going to pick, you know, that in favor of Nebraska, but no one's saying, oh yeah, Oklahoma should definitely lose to Nebraska. There's a lot of people saying, yeah, Oklahoma's going to beat Nebraska. This is their season, in my opinion, where they say, no, you're going to respect us now. We're still getting there. We're still growing. We're still climbing to be where they want to be in the Big Ten and, and where, how they want to be viewed in the Big Ten and how their record wants to be double-digit wins and competing to go to the Big Ten championship. But I think this is a season that says we are getting ready to take that next step. We've gone bowl eligible. We've bought even more into Scott Frost culture to the, what the players have created there and to what's going on there. And then after that, we will see what happens going forward with them. So Nebraska, a little bit of a sleeping giant for the Big Ten. I think they were a dangerous team last year, going to be a very dangerous team this year. Um, guys, we are going to continue previewing these teams. I know this is a kind of a dark period for us football fans, especially college football fans. The draft is over, and we're just kind of waiting for some big news out of uh, camp when it comes up and any more recruiting tidbits that come by. So up until the season starts, we are going to continue previewing these Big Ten teams. In between, we're going to sprinkle in some quarterback rankings, some offensive rankings, some overall uh, conference projections um, in terms of you know who I think is going to be at the top, who's going to go where New Year's Six Bowl-wise, who's going to have a chance at the playoffs, who's going to go to the Rose Bowl, things like that. So until the season comes along, I'm going to give you plenty of Big Ten content. If you got anything you want to see, please leave in the comments. Let me know. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to roll along with you guys. Excited to build this up. Excited to wait um, and finally have the Big Ten season come back. I think it's going to be a great one. Until next time, guys, I am Donovan White, and I will see you all on the next episode. Thank you.